Welcome to Worldview, a foreign affairs podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Chris Dooley. Our focus this week is the US election, which is now just two months away, and I'm joined on the line by our Washington correspondent, Suzanne Lynch. Suzanne, hard to believe really that we're now on the final straight, I think, in this election campaign. How would you sum up the state of play in the election right now? Yes, Chris, um, really in the final stretch now, now that we have the two conventions, the party conventions over with in the last few weeks. So there is a real sense now at the beginning of September that it's the countdown until uh, November 3rd. Um, I think a, a synopsis really is that it has been a very good few months for Joe Biden since he uh, was announced and kind of the, the rest of the party got behind his candidacy um, for the president, for the Democratic nomination back in March. Um, he has opened up a steady lead over Donald Trump in the polls. However, um, I think we're entering a new phase and there are now indications that these, his lead is tightening. Uh, several polls have shown him um, to he had a double digit uh, lead nationally over Trump, uh, but that is definitely reducing and it's particularly tightening in the key swing states that are so important in American elections. So I think we, we've seen a bit in the last few weeks, the last few days, um, that Joe Biden is a bit more on the defensive, I think, than he was before. Um, and even though he's had very, very strong fundraising figures in August on the back of the convention and on him nominating Kamala Harris, um, as I say, uh, I, th- I, I think the Biden campaign um, are a little bit concerned about the way the polls are going at the moment. And we've seen a big change, Suzanne, in recent days, I suppose, since the Republican um, convention in terms of the, the terms of the debate, which Trump seems to have successfully kind of shifted the, the focus to law and order, which is the ground he wants to be on, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, this is what's been very interesting. And um, veteran watchers of politics will always say this. You, you don't know what's going to come up as an issue. And no one really would have predicted at the beginning of the year that um, themes of racial injustice, themes of policing would dominate um, the national conversation here. And since the killing of George Floyd at the very end of May, um, there have been nightly protests in some cities and there have been sporadic protests in others. And um, the issue of policing, law enforcement and systemic racism within um, the the police force in the United States have become topic topics of debate and very emotive topics too. Um, now, in the last couple of weeks, we've seen these issues again really come to the surface and that's because of a couple of incidents. Um, firstly, in Kenosha, uh, Wisconsin, which is kind of a small city in the southeast of the state, um, a an African American man, Jacob Blake, was shot by a police officer seven times in the back, um, and has been left paralysed in hospital. Um, so that has been a big, um, you know, reminder of these themes that I mentioned. And then over in Portland, Oregon, on the far side of the country, they have seen debates and protests and demonstrations of some form, uh, for more than three months on a nightly basis. That took a violent turn at last weekend. Uh, when a man, a white man, was shot dead during a clash between kind of pro-Trump, far-right supporters and Black Lives Matter uh, supporters. So um, this kind of sporadic violence um, has pushed this issue uh, very much on the table. And as you say there, Chris, it's absolutely true. This is where Donald Trump wants the narrative to be. He is casting himself as a law and order president. It's very reminiscent of Nixon's uh, tactics back in the late 60s, when you know America was in the throes of a debate or coming out of debates about civil rights um, following the assassination of Martin Luther King, etc. Um, so I think it suits him and it's very important in deflecting away from uh, the coronavirus story, which has dominated really the first half of the year here. 
And it's remarkable, isn't it, Suzanne, that normally you would expect during a period of social upheaval that that might be damaging for the the party in power, the leader in power, and they might want to downplay the significance of what's going on. But Trump seems determined to paint the, the worst possible picture of what's happening in America right now. Yes, and this is what um, the Biden campaign are saying. They're, they're, they're making good points. He's warning, um, to, to use his words, you won't be safe in Joe Biden's America. Make no mistake, if you give power to Joe Biden, the radical left will defund police departments all across America. They will pass federal legislation to reduce law enforcement nationwide. They will make every city look like Democrat-run Portland, Oregon. Biden is making the point that the scenes that are happening in American cities are happening under Donald Trump's watch, under Donald Trump's America. Donald Trump is fanning the flames of violence um, and that he's exacerbating the situation, whereas he has been saying, I will be somebody who unifies and brings people together and can bring the two sides, if you like, around the table. This president long ago forfeited any moral leadership in this country. He can't stop the violence because for years he's fomented it. But Donald Trump's message, I think, is resonating with a lot of the public here um, and not just among his core supporters. I mean, one of the, the characteristics of the Trump presidency is that he's managed to keep his base on side. But that is not enough to win the election. So maybe approximately 40 percent um, of registered voters in or around um, still like Donald Trump are still going to vote for him. But of course, he needs to win some swing voters, suburban voters in some of these states like Wisconsin, Michigan. Um, and I think this message uh, is going to resonate with a lot of them. Fox News, just to stress, it has been covering this nonstop. And it, it, it's every evening you see uh, scenes of, of social unrest around the country. And I think that is uh, that message is hammering home. And it's quite interesting as well. Kenosha, Wisconsin, the new flashpoint, if you like, for these uh, issues um, it's a very important swing state, uh, Wisconsin. And the, the suburb of Kenosha, which is majority white, is exactly the kind of suburb that's in play in uh, November. Uh, Donald Trump won that greater county area by, by a few hundred votes. It was a very, very tight uh, margins he won over Hillary Clinton. Um, and I think, you know, the fact that he visited there, it was almost like a microcosm of where he's trying to win. And if he wins enough of these suburban areas... Um, in a few country counties around the country, frankly, he could he could win again in November. Um, so I think it kind of suits his narrative, as I say, and it's a way of of uh, basically it's a message of fear of instilling fear. If you vote vote for Joe Biden, he's in the uh, hands of the radical left, and you know he's he's saying that you you won't be safe uh, under him, and it, it may quite be, be quite powerful. And what impact, um, Suzanne, is this shift of focus, if you like, from coronavirus to law and order having on the opinion polls? Are there signs already that this is working for Trump? There is. I mean, for example, uh, this week there was a very worrying poll for uh, Democrats. It's from Monmouth uh, University. It's it's a very um, reputable polling company. And they uh, focused on the state of Pennsylvania, which is a hugely important state, the big state. And people will remember that when Donald Trump won that state in 2016, it was over for Hillary Clinton that, that night, an election night. And it it shows that Joe Biden's lead has really diminished there, that it has reduced from a 13-point lead uh, to a four-point lead, which is within the margin of error. So that is going to be very worrying for the Biden campaign. So it is suggesting um, that Biden's initial bounce and that kind of anti-Trump feeling that was out there um, may be dissipating somewhat. Uh, and then, you know, the Trump campaign, they, were, they did a briefing with reporters this week. They were very upbeat. And they were saying that even states like Minnesota, which hasn't voted for a, de for a Republican president in decades, they believe that's now in play. 
and they're putting a lot of resources in there. Um, so, you know, the, the polling does suggest, but you, typical, and again, this is um, a condition of the, the times we're living in, you know, Republicans did get some kind of bounce last week at their convention. Um, so did Joe Biden after his, but it, his was the week before the Republicans. And I think Republicans kind of stole his thunder, if you like, then with their uh, convention. Um, and Donald Trump, I don't think it was too bad of a convention. I know some people felt, oh God, it's more Trump. It, it, was, it was very um, dominated by the Trump family. It was um, potentially illegal because he held it in the White House grounds. Uh, and, and, you know, politics is supposed to be separate from what's known as the People's House. But I don't know how much that really resonated with the public. A lot of the media was talking about that. But really, I think he came across by some of the speakers who were trying to humanise Donald Trump. And kind of the message from Ivanka and other Trump women um, was that, you know, you might not like everything he says, but at least he says what he sp- what he thinks. And you know what you're getting with Donald Trump. But I think that was quite an effective message, frankly. So I think um, the Trump campaign are quite happy with how the Republican convention went off. And um, we got an indication, I suppose, from Joe Biden earlier this week in a major speech as to how his campaign might be likely to respond to this new line of attack from 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 Trump. What did we learn from that speech? Yeah, so Joe Biden has, firstly, it's worth saying, you know, has been under pressure really to um, to get out on the campaign trail more. Now, of course, his argument has been that he's been a responsible pre- president in waiting, if you like, that uh, coronavirus means that the days of ordinary campaigning are over for the moment. But in saying that, um, on the back of the Republican convention, um, internally, the Biden campaign decided he needs to get out there more. So uh, on Monday, we heard uh, he he's, he went to Pennsylvania, as I mentioned, a very important state where he himself was born. Um, but already Mike Pence was already there this week, too. So in that speech, I mean, he's got his speeches are, are, are very effective. His own speech at the Democratic convention was very, very good. And again, on Monday, it was a very strong speech. He again, and it, it has, has in fact been used as the basis for um, a TV ad, 60 second ad um, that the campaign has released this week. He talked again about Donald Trump. Um, as, he's, as I said, fanning the, fa- the flames of violence, of exacerbating the situation and, um, you know, of dividing America when this is a time they should be together. So it's very much the message of I'm the unifier in, in chief. However, I think it's going to become a problem for him because he didn't really, um, you know, address the issue of, of violence that we have seen. And that's the reality in some cities. There has been looting. There has been destruction of businesses as well as peaceful protests. And you know, it is worth saying most of the protests have been peaceful, but even in Washington, where I am, um, particularly during the George Floyd protest, protests back um, in early June, you know, there was a lot of looting, destru- destruction in the Georgetown area, um, and some of those businesses have not reopened since then. So I think uh, Biden will be under pressure to try and address, be a bit tougher, I think, in his message on law and order. Now, it was quite effective when he said during, it was one of the most effective lines, actually, during his speech this week, um, when he said, you know, do I look like a radical socialist with a soft spot for rioters? Really, he said. And it was very effective. It was short and snappy, but he, he was making a valid point there. The irony of this is that some of uh, the more uh, progressive wings of the Democratic Party have argued that Don, that that Joe Biden has been too tough um, on criminals and crime during his career. His support for the 1994 crime bill that was introduced under Bill Clinton uh, has since been criticised for resulting in uh, huge incarceration numbers for uh, African-American men in particular. So he's right in saying that, you know, he is far from a radical socialist. And that's the kind of candidate Democrats picked ultimately. They didn't go for Bernie Sanders or somebody on the left. They went for a moderate centrist like Joe Biden. But I think he's going to have to try and really emphasize that with supporters because the Donald Trump campaign is slamming him 
um, and accusing him of being in the pocket of the more progressive wing of his party. And um, I think he's going to have to address this law and order issue or it's going to become, um, you know, it, it's going to become the defining narrative now in the next few weeks. And he needs to show that he can be tough on crime as well as being sympathetic to the calls for racial um, harmony, racial justice that are this happening the, in the United this States. This is the thing, isn't it, Suzanne? Sorry, you put your finger on something there that I think isn't that the challenge that he faces. He has to keep a very broad constituency on board. He has to keep the, the Black Lives Matter supporters, if you like the people who are out in the streets, he wants their support. But he also has to appeal to moderate, uh, maybe Republicans who might normally vote for a moderate Republican candidate who actually for whom law and order is a very important issue. Absolutely. And this is the problem for the Democratic Party. And what's happened in the last few decades is that the Republican Party have become more, well, more right wing, but also more cohesive as a group. More Republicans think the same thing about a lot of issues where the Democratic Party is actually quite diffuse. And within the Democratic camp, you've got so many different constituencies. You've got the more progressive side, which is symbolised by newcomers like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, AOC. And then you've got the more centrists that are symbolised, a lot of people feel, by people like Joe Biden, Kamala Harris and Nancy Pelosi. And you're absolutely right, Chris, trying to keep all those happy is, uh, is always a problem. It happened in 2016 where, you know, Democrats fought their internal battle, obviously very publicly during the primary campaign. And almost they were they were handing their Republican opponent um, the raw meat and um, the in the playbook on how to attack them when the presidential election proper began. And this is kind of what's happening now. Um, so, yes, Joe Biden is treading a, a, a very difficult path here. And also it's worth noting, I think Kamala Harris has been quite quiet since her um, announcement as a candidate, uh, which happened a few weeks ago. He got a big boost on the back of that. But we haven't seen that much from her. She's doing a lot of virtual events, um, a lot of uh, Biden fundraisers um, that are open to a select number of people. But we haven't seen much of her out on the campaign tra trail publicly taking questions, interacting with the media. So I think, you know, they need to get her out a bit more uh, on this issue too. But of course, uh, picking up on your on, on your question there, she's also got in a difficult position because a lot of people on the left of the party believe that she was too tough on crime during her time as a prosecutor in California. And her record on uh, criminal justice reform and policing is going to be very much under the record as soon as she does come out and speak on this issue. Now, Trump seemed to be or was losing heavily, Suzanne, when the focus was on coronavirus. And, and I think there's a sort of widespread perception that he's mishandled the pandemic. I presume one of the things Joe Biden would want to do is sort of turn the focus back uh, onto that subject now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Joe Biden really has been um, like yesterday, for example, this week he did a an event, a virtual event talking about reopening schools. And just to kind of, you know, illustrate the same as in Ireland and other countries, like there's a huge debate here in the United States at the moment about reopening schools, about reopening universities. I know people here in Washington, the public schools are not reopening and it's a big issue for parents. In New York, just this week, they announced a delay in the opening of schools until 21st of September because the teacher, very powerful teacher union, uh, threatened to strike and the mayor, Bill, Bill de Blasio, had been in negotiations with the teachers union and they kind of got their way. They got a delay to the reopening. So this is a real bread and butter issue that is affecting people in this country every day. Um, I was speaking to a friend of mine who was saying her son, she, she, he called her because he's in um, a university in Pennsylvania and they, were, they had random testing 
and only one person tested positive for coronavirus. And this, he was delighted with this because I know other people down in South Carolina, they've had major problems with universities reopening um, and then they've had to, to close and stop classes essentially because the numbers are so high in some of those southern states. So coronavirus has not gone away as an issue for everyday Americans. Um, the case numbers passed 6 million last weekend and there are now more than 180,000 uh, deaths that have been recorded. And some of the most powerful moments of the Democratic Convention was um, when people spoke about their own experience of coronavirus. Um, one young woman spoke about her dad who died in Arizona from COVID and she said something like his only underlying condition was that he had supported Donald Trump. That was very effective and rang through. So look, coronavirus at the moment it's taken, it's playing second fiddle to the stories of the of the nightly protests etc but you know it hasn't gone away one interesting thing as well is that the cdc the center for diseases um has is is now the reports that it's told states to prepare for a vaccine an early vaccine and donald trump has said this a few times that he expects to have a vaccine by the end of the year and there's now reports that this actually could happen right before the election by november 1st so donald trump is obviously you know really pushing to get that vaccine as early as possible and um, so that he has some kind of a win on coronavirus uh, because, look, if there's a second wave here, he could be, you know, this issue could return to the top of the agenda. But at the moment, it, states like Florida, Arizona, the numbers are going down. So, you know, it remains to be seen how big of an issue this is going to be in the last few weeks before the election. Because there's a lot of concern, as you know, Suzanne, in Europe right now that cases are on the rise again. And we have kind of certainly um, on this side of the Atlantic, I think we've turned our focus away from the US a little bit on the, in the coronavirus story. I mean, um, what are the trends, actually? Uh, you've, you've mentioned the overall figures there, more than 180,000 dead. But are, are, are cases still rising or is there a sense that, that they've abated? The best way to kind of encapsulate it is that it is very varied around the country and it always has been. So um, the states that reopen too early, essentially, in the south um, have the highest numbers, Florida, Texas, Arizona. But those numbers are going down. Now, worryingly, their numbers are going up in a lot of the Midwestern states. So Iowa, for example, um, has seen a big rise in numbers, um, in case numbers. Um, also, um, like so the coronavirus task force um, Anthony Fauci and Deborah Burks, they have really warned, um, they went, they sent officials really to the state of Iowa this week and warned um, of these dire new cases, uh, increases um, that have been seen there uh, in, in August. Um, so you're talking about like it, highest rates of cases in the US now in terms of increases, something like 70% of cases, um, of an increase in cases in states like Iowa. So I think that is going to, uh, you know, impact in those states. But we have seen in New York, things are very much under control. For example, there there had been fears of a second wave. wave. That is still the most affected state in the country. We all remember those huge numbers back in April or May, but they've managed to keep it under control and they haven't really seen a second wave there. Um, so as I say, look, it just depends where you are in the country. Where I am in Washington, D.C., it's very in control. There's a lot of testing. Anybody can get a test and not that the numbers are not that high. Um, but yeah, as I say, slight improvement in the, in the numbers of cases and the deaths as proportionate cases do seem to be lower than in the earlier phase of the pandemic. And what impact, Suzanne, will the, the coronavirus uh, outbreak have on the, the, the election campaign itself? Will, will it change the nature of this campaign entirely? I think the, the the worry, Democrats want to keep coronavirus front and centre because, as you say, it's widely believed that Donald Trump mishandled this, that he, he underestimated the impact this was going to have. Um, but I think what you're seeing is that people are beginning to tune out somewhat 
Um, and the numbers are kind of not as shocking as they once were. And I think people have become jaded by the story slightly. Um, so I don't know if it's going to have that impact that, you know, the the issues of violence, um, police violence, racial injustice, etc. are going to have on both sides. That's much more of a of a of a motivating thing. So I think for Biden, um, he's going to have to he's he's going to have to broaden his appeal in terms of policy. Um, Republicans, for example, were saying that during his convention speech and during the Democratic convention, there was very few policies that were outlined like on the economy. Um, and Donald Trump is also quite lucky in that um, the stock market is uh, performing extremely well. I mean, record numbers. Now, as economists would point out, the stock market is not the economy and there's still huge unemployment numbers here. But again, compared to Europe, so many Americans do have investments in stock markets in their retirement funds and their 401ks and, and different um, retirement plans. So I think um, how the stock mar- market performs is a lot more important here than it would be in Europe. And that's a positive for Donald Trump. So, you know, I think he's going to be trying to uh, catch Joe Biden out on his economic plans. So they're talking a lot about his plans to reverse uh, Joe Biden's to, to reverse, for example, some of the corporate tax cuts that Donald Trump introduced. Um, so, look, I think coronavirus at the moment, it has it, it is it has faded from the agenda. That may come back, as we say, if if the numbers are to increase in the next few weeks. But at the moment, um, you know, I don't think it's damaging Donald Trump that much to the same extent as it did during the during the year. I was thinking as well, Suzanne, actually, in terms of the nature of the campaign, um, like the, the type of campaigning and so on, will, will big election rallies, for example, be, be ruled out? Yeah, um, that, that, that's very interesting. It has completely changed the campaign, really, Chris, here. Um, so the Democrat and the Republican convention are kind of the high points of um, election calendars here, and they were both pretty much virtual. Um, and we, particularly from the Biden side, there's huge restrictions. He's had very few events, public events. And when he does, he may have a handful of members of the media in those events, no members of the public. Um, and for example, I was in Delaware uh, when he announced Cam- Kamala Harris as his running mate and supporters had lined up there outside of school, his local school, and um, from the early hours of the morning and they didn't get near Joe Biden. He, he They weren't allowed into the building. He was really kept out of bounds um, by his security. So um, this is going could be a big problem for, for Joe Biden because he actually is quite good uh, publicly. You know, he, he thrives on meeting people. He's kind of that old fashioned retail politician. So if he's not out there meeting people. This could be an issue for him. Um, where Donald Trump, of course, as part of his coronavirus denial, one could put it, um, has been going out to to events, having, you know, impromptu rallies. And again, ethically dubious at, at events like uh, during this this week, he went to North Carolina to designate a city there as a kind of World War II heritage city. But he, he ended up really holding an impromptu small rally with his supporters of about maybe 100 people when he stepped off Air Force One. Um, so he's going to have the advantages of the incumbency there um, in the next few weeks. Uh, and so what we're seeing is this campaign has moved online. There's been a lot of every day there will be Trump and particularly Biden online events where surrogates, as they say, people representing and supporters of Biden, maybe quite high profile, um, are are holding fundraisers uh, with a select group of people and then broader groups. For example, they had an Irish Americans for Biden event. Now, Biden wasn't on the event, but they had that about a month ago. Um, and maybe there was maybe 900,000 people on that call. 
um, and we heard from prominent Irish American politicians and the Democratic Party. And so those kind of things are happening all the time. They, they will break through to that select group of people who are on that call, but it doesn't, uh, it doesn't make up for the lack of coverage that you get from going on the campaign trail. In saying that, as I mentioned at the beginning, Joe Biden is stepping up his appearances. So he said after Labor Day, this weekend is Labor Day in the United States, traditionally seen as kind of the end of summer, and that he's going to be back on the trail. Uh, so, you know, we do expect to see more of him and of Kamala Harris on the trail. And I think he realises he kind of needs to do that. OK, Suzanne, well, that's a great overview. Thank you very much for that. And no doubt we'll be talking many times again between now and November the 3rd. So that's all for this week. For more on this and other stories, go to irishtimes.com. Thanks for listening. Goodbye for now. 